0: it, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. This is the Overthinking It Book Club, and we are playing Final Fantasy VI. This is the second episode of this book club, but we are on week one of our playthrough. So, if you're playing along at home, and I, and I hope that you are, uh, this covers the beginning of the game in Narsh through the arrival of your party at the Returner's Hideout. Uh, with me, as always, is a panel of overthinkers. First, we have uh, Justin Bortnick. Hey, Justin. Hey, Ben. How have uh, oh. you been enjoying the uh, the first playthrough here?
1: Um, I've been enjoying it a lot. I've uh, been sort of thinking about the music and the listening to, so I guess, later versions of the the music when I'm not playing the game to sort of f- see if I can figure out how different arrangements and uh, compositions link to the characters and their personalities
0: i i love it it's book club by osmosis uh next we have a uh, shana moloski hey shana
2: hey and you should call me a treasure hunter just so you know
0: okay right. shana treasure hunter moloski or just treasure hunter it's like it, it's a just a full name
2: uh yeah either way okay. uh, yeah that's fine
0: uh next john parrott hey john
3: what up? Happy to be here. Uh, I hope I don't get disintegrated by a weird esper within the first five minutes of this podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Statistically, two-thirds of us, of the, the characters at the beginning of the podcast, should get disintegrated at by the time we meet the first esper. So we'll see if that
3: well, happens. We'll, maybe, maybe if I get a cool nickname like Wedge or something, no, Wedge I'll be less likely surprised.
2: to be. Oh, Final Fantasy, they always kill Biggs and Wedge. But in Star Wars, totally different. See i don't know final fantasy i don't know
0: <laughs> and the last member of our party is richard rosenbaum hey richard hello uh welcome to the podcast we we didn't have you last week we are happy to have you on thank you so it's i guess great to be here <laughs> so we'll just launch right into it <laughs> i, I want to start with with kind of overarching uh, the world that we're getting built here obviously the we get this neat little prologue and a little intro, but uh, you know that this a big part of this first chunk of the game is introducing us to the world that we're going to be playing in. So, so what do we? W- what's interesting about the way that Final Fantasy VI builds the the world of the game?
1: Well, we begin in media res, right? We just we don't know anything about it. It Just drops us in and, you know, in an invasion of
2: a uh, of Narsh, right? Yeah, I think that's a really good point because this game has a lot to do, especially at the beginning, with like amnesia, and we are sort of brought in as almost amnesiacs. Like we're brought into this game and we don't know anything. We don't know anything about the world. We don't know who these people are. So basically, we're from the viewpoint of Tara, or I guess you could call her Tina, but that would be wrong. That's a bad translation. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. So. Um, uh, I said last week that the theme that I wanted to really look at as we were playing this game is the way um, your identity is shaped by the past and also present and future, um, and how you can build an identity if you don't have a past, and it's sort of interesting from the player's perspective of, uh, like, if you are a character in this world and you have no past because you don't know what this world is, um, you've never been here before in this particular Final Fantasy game, you know, what What does that make you? How do you interact with this world that you don't know anything about?
4: Yeah, that's a really good point. I I, I realized that uh, when I started replaying this, um, and it's been a couple of years since I played it, but uh, the amnesia turns out to be um, a pretty prevalent theme in a lot of the FF games. Yes. You know, we have...
2: eight,
4: seven, seven, eight, even Bravely Default, um, the new one, which is not officially... A Final Fantasy game, but it's very much a Final Fantasy game. Um, Amnesia also plays a major role. So yeah, I think that that's a really good point. The identity of not knowing who you are.
2: Can we call it amnesia? Because I feel like it has to be said that way. Very. I think you're right.
4: Amnesia. Amnesia.
2: Or is that Futurama? I think. That's Futurama,
4: but that's fine. (laughs) It's still. I mean, I don't remember what. What's Futurama?
2: Uh, I don't know. It is uh, acting.
4: Well, am, Amnesia is a useful plot
3: device as far as video games, especially narrative-heavy video games, go because it enables the player character, or the, the primary character, to discover the world at the same pace the player does. So you don't have the, the rather ridiculous trope of people explaining things to someone who should really know them by now if they're not brain-damaged. Uh... But, uh, but you also don't just sort of leave things in the dark and let people fumble through them ignorant.
2: Or it is brain damage, isn't she, <laughs> now that you say that? Man, I mean, with the thing, thing. It, it, is,
3: it, is bra- it is literal brain damage, in a sense, yeah.
0: And, of course, it's also a useful narrative trick outside video games. I mean, foreign identity is the one that jumps to mind as a plot that jumps right away with, our hero has amnesia, let's find out why.
1: I mean, the game. The game gets uh, gets starts getting you information really quick. Though I mean, you don't even know who you are at first, and you think, oh, I, I'm probably the protagonist. That's how these things go. But the first thing you do is like you beat up a puppy. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess maybe we're not the heroes here. Then that I guess that turns around real quick. But uh, y- it it quickly establishes who the villains are, and right now they're you, and that sort of conflicted. Allegiance comes up again throughout the game, where do you stand on these th- sorts of issues? Whose side are you really on?
3: So speaking of world building, one of the first things we're exposed to in Narsh is, as we mentioned before, and I don't know if this is pr- a premature segue or if we are going to talk about it anyway, but here we go, uh, the soundtrack, the, the Narsh soundtrack that's sort of like mellow but characteristic jazz that sort of tinkles along through the background uh you don't you don't get as much of that when we were at the imperial soldiers but later when you're uh when you're poking around as Locke, immediately after you know tara has her uh anagnorisis or whichever uh you, you get that you get that you know sort of tinkly narsh jazz which i thought was pretty cool
2: can i talk about the the intro where you are you know in that mecca and you're walking forward through the snow and you have Terra's theme it's so epic it's it's my favorite beginning of any video game ever and i was thinking that it the music really puts you in this certain genre not only of video games but just like japanese media in general um because you have like this very martial sort of Uh, bass or drum beat, but then you have also this, uh, very pretty, um, I don't know what you call it, like a MIDI flute, um, that eventually is going to, uh, you know, be a leitmotif, uh, for Terra, and it's this mix between um, sort of masculine-feminine, so I guess you would say anime-wise, it's sort of a mix between the shoujo girl anime versus shonen boy uh, anime, um, which I think is maybe why the Final Fantasy games in general, and this one we're so popular. There is a, a cross uh, demographic appeal here, um, where you have, you know, in this game particularly, you have all these characters that you play. You know, you play as a female main character, which is hasn't been true in a Final Fantasy for the most part, except for. Thirteen, I think you were lightning. Is that the one? But yeah, yeah most of the games you you play as this uh, grumpy male protagonist since Cloud, right? Um, but in this game, you play a lot of female characters. Not to get too far ahead, but later um, there's another female character that you play as for a significant period of time. Um, so yeah, it, it's uh, bringing in the, the ladies. I appreciate that. I think I think RPGs in general have a big female player um i don't want to be too gender essentialist but maybe it's not only because there are so many more female characters but also because there is a lot of narrative involved as well and you know as a lady i enjoy narrative. you know like with amnesia like soap opera because i'm a lady <laughs> <laughs> I watch soap opera.
4: Uh, to be like, fair cloud does dress up like a girl Oh,
2: true, true. Uh,
1: to be fair, a lot of the Final Fantasy protagonists are indistinguishable from girls, uh to the layperson. Yeah. person.
4: Yeah. Oh, okay. Yay,
3: breaking down gender essentialism.
0: Woo <laughs> good job. Gen-
3: gender is a performance. It's or rather or uh, to it's final fa- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Or to be Final Fantasy specific, I guess gender is a job. It is a job you <laughs> say.
1: Yes. yes. <laughs> I think it's interesting also that Terra's Terra's theme calls her out as the protagonist almost immediately because it's a variation of the game's main theme which I guess if you've just started up a new game you probably heard on the title screen. Um it's even in the same key they're both uh, what A minor I think.
2: The sad key. <laughs> minor
0: keys. So yeah, so we before we get off the soundtrack I have to thank uh at G-L-E-B-S-282 on Twitter for, uh, pointing us in the direction of a fantastic mashup between the Final Fantasy VI soundtrack and the Wu-Tang Clan. <coughs> uh, so <laughs> thank you for that. Yes. We'll, we'll link that up in the show notes and I would encourage everyone to, to enjoy it. Yeah, that's Glebes. He, uh, he linked me,
1: he sent me a, a message per- about with that too. It was pretty good.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty fantastic.
1: Uh,
3: so, I, I guess so, yeah, well, so, what else? <laughs> now that we've talked soundtrack a, a little bit, and by all means, let's not get off it. But, yeah, so Terra invades the village of Narsh, uh, gets amnesia raid, or I guess gets knocked unconscious by the Esper they find. Uh, Locke shows up, which I guess is really our first indication that this is going to be a multi-character story, and that we... Drop Terra for a brief moment, uh, and follow Locke as he, uh, ventures into the cave complex, uh, you yeah, ventures into the cave complex, finds the Moogles for the first time, and fights with them to defend Terra from the encroaching, uh, uh, from the, from the Narsh partisans, actually.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it's... I don't know how many of you have played a lot of RPGs, but can we step back for a second and just talk about all the weirdness just inherent to RPGs in general and JRPGs specifically, or even Final Fantasy games specifically. Not only the Moogles, which is a very Final Fantasy thing to have, but things like you have treasure chests lying around and you actually have physical save points that people can walk into and be like, I'm going to save my game here. Like in Nars, you have that little house um, in the south of the town where you can go in and they teach you how to play the game. And they're like, here, uh, go into this sparkly thing and you can save somehow, you know, uh- I don't know if we're supposed to just sort of ignore these elements and, uh, you know, separate them in our minds from the narrative. Or if we are actually supposed to imagine that Tara has entered this world where you can just walk into people's houses and steal their stuff and you can save your game and come back to life. Um, you know, maybe you're just not supposed to think about this too much. <laughs>
0: I mean this that's a point that it exposes an interesting kind of tension between conventions of games and conventions of a narrative. Because in if if you're if you know you're playing a game, if you're playing football, it's okay to just say arbitrarily, okay, at any point you can kick a ball through a, a field goal and then you get three points. And that's just that's okay. That's how the game is played. And similarly here it's like there are different points where if you click the right button you get a prize and that'll help you with win the rest of the game. But narratively, that has to be squared. You have to come up with some reason. And so, of course, you, some of those explanations are good and some of them are less good. So we have this narrative convention of, oh, there are just treasure chests scattered around and you can use those to to get them. And it works to a more or lesser extent in different games. But it's kind of a challenge that I feel like each video game has to overcome, which is how do we keep the game fun without completely breaking the fourth wall and remind you that you're playing a game?
3: Yeah, I, I will note that the sort of, I guess, Adventurers Club or whatever it's called in, uh, in the south of Narsh, which is the only building you can get into once you're kicked out of the city, uh, the Adventurers Club is, uh, I believe a, a new feature, but the save point being a physical location and the requirement of a tent to, to use at the save point in order to restore HP and sleep, it has been around since at least uh it was Final Fantasy two in the US. I forget what its number is in the original in the actual series. I believe Final Fantasy four
2: someone help me out? Oh yeah, four I guess yes. it was four.
1: Four is
3: two and this was three. Yeah. <laughs> four is two, six is three. Yes. Got it. Right. <laughs> Counting. Okay, we're good. Moving on. But yeah, so the idea that uh not only that you can only restore your health and document your progress at certain locations, but that these locations are physical and distinct in the world and the characters are aware of them is i mean it, it also persists in the the dragon warrior series which was uh it was called dragon warrior in the u.s i think it was was it called dragon quest in in japan i should i should know this i apologize uh but yeah but yeah there were distinct save points there as well yes dragon quest in the original japanese uh, so yeah, it is it is a common enough trope,
1: yeah, games try to deal with this uh in different ways. I found sometimes they just do what this game did and just say, don't even try to tie it into the story, or I guess I guess the existence of a adventurer's guild is a a very half hearted attempt to place it within the fiction, but uh sometimes you get there's like a I know there was a Zelda game that there was a kid who would explain how to save, and then he'd end his speech with. Uh, what does this even mean? I don't even know. I'm just a kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like,
4: I, I don't even know what I'm saying. That was uh Yeah, oh that was um I think it was uh, link so between Maybe?
1: worlds. Oh, was it a link between worlds.
4: Yeah, I think that he uh he's like yeah, he's uh, Link's friend and he's like dad always says that you should save at these uh at these wind chime things. Um I don't even know what that means. I guess it's something that grown-ups do.
1: <laughs> and uh what is it um i think like resident evil is your your type like i guess you have, you have like an ink roll that you put into a typewriter and you're typing up a report of what you've done to that point and that's how you save your game so they've they've tried i guess a whole bunch of different things but it always it always is clearly i guess uh a conceit or a, a concession that they have to make
2: I'm just thinking uh, because there are other elements um, gameplay wise that are or will be incorporated into the plot, like uh later on Espers and that sort of thing, so it's interesting uh, you know where the line is what what elements are just part of the gameplay versus what elements of the gameplay are going to be, you know, part of the character development, part of the, the plot structure, or just part of the world building in general. Um, I think in Final Fantasy games, now that I think about it, it's really that the magic systems are very, very important to the worlds and to the narratives. Um, like in Final Fantasy X, I think like the summoning was a big part of the world and the plot. And in Final Fantasy VII, the material which you used to cast magic was also a major major plot element. So it, that's an interesting contrast with things like save points or menus or whatever.
0: Well, it's it's interesting because, of course the first thing we learn about magic is that it's what tore the world apart. Like it's this force that is like horrible because it creates an, an unending war and death. But you as a player is like I got to get me some of that. Like, I'm gonna spend the <laughs> rest of this game trying to get as much magic as possible, cause that's the fun stuff. Like, that's how I get to kill bad guys, is when I get magic.
2: Well, that's another point that I'd like to talk about, and it's not really particular to Final Fantasy. It's really an RPG thing, which is sort of like, what is fun about these games? And I'm not saying that in a skeptical way, because I find this game super fun. I've played it maybe like five times in my life, maybe even more than that. Um, But is it fun to be, you know... Playing the game where you're meeting these random enemies, you fight them over and over again, and then you get more magic, you get more levels, more experience, more loot, which helps you because when you have better magic, you can fight harder enemies and then get more experience, more levels, more magic, more loot. And so you're sort of, they call it a grind, right? So it's like you're working... Um, to get more and more and more, but for what purpose? So that you could keep fighting and get more and more and more. I mean, I guess this is more a problem in MMOs, where I would get bored after a point because I'm like, why am I just uh fighting over and over again so I can accumulate better weapons so I could keep fighting over and over again? At least in Final Fantasy VI, you have a you know story wrapped around. These, uh, you know, these random encounters or these boss battles. But, you know, do you find, all of you, do you find this sort of grind, uh, with killing all these monsters to be the fun part of the game? Or do you actually find it to be some sort of work (laughs) where you are only doing it because you get some sort of compensation at the end?
4: I think that's one of the big, uh, differences in, uh, game design uh, philosophy between JRPGs and Western RPGs that like this is one of the criticisms that a lot of people who uh, disparage JRPGs launch is that it's just grindy, like you just run around and kill things so that you can make numbers get bigger, so you can kill bigger things. Um, and there is definitely a lot of that. Like when I've when I started uh, replaying this after having just recently uh, played Bravely Default. Uh, it, it really struck me how annoying the random encounters can get when you're just trying to go from one place to another and, uh, you keep getting attacked by these things. But because of the way that the game is designed, it's completely necessary because let's, you know, by the time you get from point A to point B, you have to be strong enough to fight what is at point B. And you won't be able to do that unless you, because of the way that it's structured with levels and uh equipment and and so on you have to have had these encounters on the way um well there's a a lot less of that in uh western art in western rpgs yeah that's
3: that's one of the things i've noticed in playing the game because it's been a while since i played a game where non-plot related enemy encounters uh were not only random, but also just sort of sprung on you invisibly, which is odd, because that was how most of the games I grew up with uh, threw random encounters at you, but it was only in the last, I guess, 10 or 15 years or so where you started to be able to see the enemies who were going to threaten you from a good ways off, and you could, you could decide, all right, it's time for me to heal up, or I'm going to take another route to sort of avoid these guys. I mean, you see that in Legend of Zelda, the from the Ocarina of Time series on you see that in the, the Morrowind and and Skyrim and Oblivion series and and other games along those lines. Uh so it it was it was a little frustrating having been having to throw back like that.
2: I'm just wondering if because I haven't played any RPGs recently so you guys can speak to this better than I can. But um, So it stands for role-playing games, right? And in order to play a role, does that really mean that you have to be a character and then you level up? Or is that just something left over um, from Dungeons & Dragons that they, you know, ported over to video games? You know, are there role-playing games nowadays that don't even involve levels, that don't even involve experience or getting better? You just fight enemies and it's more about the strategy involved in killing the enemies as opposed to fighting over and over again so that you were strong enough to beat the bosses. Does that make any sense?
1: Yeah, no, Definitely. Um, the leveling system is just a metaphor for I guess uh character growth and enhancement which in the real world yeah you, know, you you'd do push-ups or whatever to get stronger if you were trying to be a cool good cool warrior sword guy or you'd <laughs> read a bunch of magic books if you wanted to be a sweet wizard but uh, we we don't really have those anymore so the the Figure leveling yourself. and the numbers <laughs> the the leveling and the numbers are uh Sort of just shorthand for a whole bunch of stuff that we don't actually want to see or care about. It's like how we talked about uh, last time, you know, we don't see the characters stopping and eating and all of the things that nobody cares about. We don't see Gandalf ask for directions. And there are definitely other ways of doing that. Um, even if you want to stick with this sort of random encounter system, where or the, I guess the turn-based inc- uh, battle system that this game has uh Earthbound for example which came out the same year uh all there were no random encounters all the enemies were on the world map and you walked into them to start the fight but it also uh c- if you were a certain level of strength above the character would uh instantly win the battle for you so you didn't oh. have to play through the fight and enemies that were significantly weaker from you would actually run away because they hmm. they could tell and so that game is still considered to have handled these encounters best or sort of definitely up there in design. Ooh.
0: Of course, it's the, the numbers though, it's, it's worth mentioning and kind of discussing that there is kind of this slot machine quality of, you know, immediate, you know, payoff and reward of just kind of the, you know, base of the brain is happy when the number goes up. I mean, there are plenty of mobile games now where you don't even have this dressing of plot around the random encounter system. It's just fight a bunch of bad guys, increase your numbers so that you can get more stuff, so that you can increase your numbers and fight a bunch of bad guys. Uh, And these are very addictive and very lucrative, because people really enjoy, it turns out, fighting bad guys and getting stuff and et cetera.
4: Yeah, making numbers bigger uh, really hits that uh, dopamine button in the brain. (laughs) Especially if they're...
3: Especially if they're associated flashing lights and musical cues for whenever the number gets
2: bigger.
4: Yeah, <laughs> the music, the musical reward is really a big deal.
2: Um,
4: um, I think that t- to the extent that these uh, RPGs, they they do come out of like you said, um, Dungeons and Dragons, where there's obviously because there's a real human being directing the action, you're freer to play the roles. Um, in a game like this, where it's very you know, linear. Even in games that are kind of sandboxy, um, there still has to be. You can't account for anything. Nothing is there that they didn't put in there beforehand. And so, a lot of I think the role playing element of it has to be customization of character with uh, the weaponry that you get, the you know skills that you that you train, or you know, in in different in different games that give you different ways to do it. But uh, I think that has to be part of it, um, just that if you are playing a role, it's there's character development that you kind of half control, because you don't control the story as much as they kind of want you to feel like you do. And so making your character stronger, getting your character better powers, and so on, uh, kind of plays that role instead. Narratively,
2: yeah I like that, oh, <laughs> um as you were saying that, I was just uh curious, and this isn't overthinky at all um but which characters uh you sort of <laughs> I want to say that this is very capitalistic, that you are investing time in fighting these battles, and then you get money, or your numbers go up, so you feel like uh, you're a richer person experience-wise or whatever. So I was just wondering which characters you are investing in, in this little capitalistic world that you live in. Um, Like When I played this time around, I was spending a lot of my time developing Sabin because he's just so freaking good um so i was just wondering if you ended up focusing your uh you know mind resources or any other resources that you had in the game like money or anything like that into one particular character
3: that is that is something that i get conscious of and as we get more characters in the later chapters i'll i may revisit this there but because I, I think we're pretty much set with the party that we have for the first two chapters, but I am conscious of certain characters whom I leave by the sidelines. Like, they're useful in one particular scenario when they're recruited that tends to hinge around their one-off trick power, uh, and they're great for that, and then I, and then I'll never touch them again. Like, mm-hmm. as soon as I get a chance to swap out party members, which happens later in the story, I I never revisit these people. So I do feel like a slight twinge of, you know, shame when that happens. Like, oh, they, this is a real human being with feelings, and you know, they probably have a heroic story too. But nope, they're I'm, I'm going to war with the army I want, not the army I have, and I'm, I'm picking, uh, in fact, pretty much folks who show up in the in the original couple chapters. It's usually Tara. Edgar, Sabin, and one of the folks we'll get later uh, as as my core four, which, of course, has its tactical issues as well, but from a story perspective, it's not very satisfying. So do we do we think this makes for a weaker story in that not all of the characters are tactically optimized for the purpose of doing damage to monsters and surviving damage dealt by monsters in return?
4: Yeah, it's, that's definitely a problem when you get a game that has, you know, up, upward of a dozen characters, uh, playable characters, and, uh, it's just, it, it does get unwieldy. Like, it's really, uh, it's really exciting to have that kind of a large cast, but it also really, uh, it hurts the playability, I think.
2: Uh, John, I wouldn't feel guilty about not using Setzer. He's, he's okay. He has cool airship. <laughs> he, he <doesn't>
3: <laughs> yes, he's, he's clearly, he's clearly, uh, contributing enough in his, in his own right.
0: Uh, so, well, John, on a replay, do you, do you feel mm-hmm. like you want to use your old favorites or do you feel like you're more likely to try something, try somebody new either because of guilt or just out of like curiosity? Like, oh, let me see if I can beat the game using this tactic instead of this tactic
3: well that is that is i mean it's more common in contemporary gameplay as as people are able to share their accomplishments more and more whether through a video game network's own accomplishment notification system like xbox gamer points or whatever the playstation equivalent is or just through social media say hey i beat you know i beat skyrim using a pure unarmed uh Breton build, wearing nothing heavier than leather, and people are like, "Oh, cool, that's pretty interesting." Uh, I did not feel that. I did not feel that challenge this time. Uh, I did not feel at all inclined to play with anything less than the most brutally, harshly, General Motors Six Sigma optimized uh, character build that I possibly could. Just because, I mean, for the for the sake of you know, for the sake of participating in this experiment, this this book club. I wanted to get through the game not as quickly as possible, but with as few detours as possible. And I figured if it was like, oh, sorry guys, and now you're talking about you know chapter twelve, but I'm still you know trying to muddle through with my you know cyan setzer Gao realm build. And,
2: uh, <laughs> that was great. You be quiet. <laughs> you guys just need to get the right rages, my friend.
3: Oh, <laughs> uh, but uh, so yeah, it, it, I mean, and and your point. Your point from earlier is well taken in that if you have, if you, if you throw your bread under the waters, some of it's going to be, you know, snatched up by ducks in that, you know, not everything is going to bear as much fruit in terms of, of player favorite. Uh, and I think it it makes for a richer world at least, if not, you know, if not a fully realized one. Uh, Sorry, go on.
1: I was gonna say I I also worry that I've I've been I've been playing favorites and I worry that there will come a point where I need to use the majority of my characters to do something and I'm going to have a bunch of them that are just level twelve or whatever while my main party is at level seventy or something. Um, it that I feel like that's the concern that drives me to want to use other characters, not necessarily because I find their story is interesting but uh sort of fear for the future and that i might have to go and do a bunch of that grinding that we were talking about uh that's not an attractive proposition to me
3: agreed But, I mean, at, at the same time, that, that also makes for, I mean, when you do that, do you invent in your head artificial reasons for, for characters to come out on a raid this time, a la the Justice League? It's like, oh, all right, you know, Realm and uh, Strago need to work on their relationship. And, again, we're, we're jumping ahead a little <laughs> in terms of characters. So it's like we're, we're going to send them out and have, you know, Cyan and uh, uh chaperone.
2: Oh my god! I want to read your fan fiction, John.
1: <laughs> I think sometimes um, I know the first time I had to just pick a party from where I had more than four. I picked based on who I thought would be the most logical story choices because at that point I only had, I guess, four or five. I guess five was it? Five or six characters. The first time you get to choose, and you leave two behind. And I was like, "Well, these this guy is the king, so we don't want to put him in trouble. So he uh, he he's he's too important, so we'll leave him behind. And this kid is like a dog or something, and I don't trust him, so I'm going <laughs> to leave him behind. <laughs> so, I mean, and that was how. But then the, the the problem is that then the that decision meant that those characters were going to be a, a higher level than the ones I left behind. So that I just kept using those characters for the rest of the game." Because they were doing way, way, way more damage.
3: Yeah, it does. It is. It is sort of a, a vicious uh, vicious cycle. So uh, speaking of, I, I believe it was. Uh, so speaking of power and the ability to to do damage, uh, Justin, I, I I'm looking for a graceful way to seg- segue into this, but I can't so i'm just gonna drop it in here uh you mentioned uh someone had pointed out that one of the funnier moments in the early game happens in chapters one to two uh if if uh terra uses magic at any point after figaro castle submerges and edgar becomes a playable character oh. was it you justin or was it you richard
0: uh but before that was uh actually i gotta jump in that was uh samich do on twitter uh reached out to us i, I put out a call before we uh we jumped on for the recording. That's uh so he 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 pointed this out on Twitter that uh the one of the funnier moments happened. So so thank you for that response. Anybody else uh out there listening in the future? We usually record on on Monday or Tuesday night. So if you want to tweet at us, we'll we'll respond to your comments. So yeah, I I did do that. Did anybody else do that? Just
1: oh, I, I, I used magic.
2: <laughs>
0: Oh,
3: yeah, I mean, I I think it's it's happened to all of us, yeah.
1: Okay, yeah, I I wasn't sure if I was the only... Because you don't have to. Like, You could just use your swords to resolve that conflict. But yeah, the...
3: the, Go ahead uh okay so I, I won't let you describe but what i've found in, in gameplay is that moment will happen no matter how long after edgar joins the party you wait to use magic like you can you can fight with him all the way up through the returner's hide uh i believe up up to the returner's hideout and the first time you use magic like whatever the context that uh, that whole scene will play out
1: huh. so what it's not if you just never what if you just never show him magic ever? And then, and then like Kefka's tower final boss, without, does he, does like Kafka just watch while this scene plays out?
3: Yeah, and Edgar for the first time discovers that magic exists after years <laughs> of equipping espers, learning, you know, cure two and life and, and whatever else you equip him with. And there's all of <laughs> sudden like, m, 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 m,
1: m, 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 magic? I guess that really describes what happens. <laughs>
3: yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's... It is... I mean, I guess it's funny. It's an odd break in the narrative in that, you know, after several conversations about how, how oh, Tara's a magic user. She's on the run from the Empire. They want her because she can use magic. She's the key to Magitech. Okay. Then all of a sudden, Edgar sees it and he's like, whoa, wait, hold up. I wasn't paying attention for any of
0: that <laughs> first first 15 minutes. I was... uh I was checking this girl out. Someone said magic? Okay. This this is like Scully after like four or five seasons of The X-Files still being skeptical (laughs) of all the various supernatural things. I think his,
1: I think, I think his response is justified though. I mean, if I were in his place and somebody had, had brought this person to me and said, hey, this person can do real magic, I would have been like, okay buddy. And then if I saw that person then do real magic, I would be surprised anyway even though somebody had told me that this was the case.
3: That's fair. Edgar, as, as we've seen, is a much more technically inclined uh, problem solver anyway. So oh, but we,
4: we do know that the, in this world magic is or was a real thing. So it might be it's not just like, oh, magic exists." It's more like, um, wow, this, this person dares to use that stuff that destroyed the world a thousand years ago.
1: Well, it's not just that she dares, right? It's that nobody can use magic since then, Um, and so I don't like. Do we? I guess the we we know what the what the empire thinks of magic because they've they've got it, but we never really see what the average person thinks of magic or thinks of the history. I think for I mean, for all we know, the average person could be thinking, "Oh, magic." well, we have technology, that's basically the same as magic. Maybe the ma- what they called magic back then was just the technology that we have now, and we're better using it at this point. Yeah, that's possible. Uh,
4: it's interesting we, we, to think about what the average person knows about the history of the world, you know.
3: Yeah, we, we have, we've we met very few characters who know a lot about real history. There's uh, there's an elder in Narsh. Edgar seems fairly well-informed, and obviously Kefka, uh, whom we've met so far. I'm just talking about characters we've met so far. Kefka and, I guess, uh Bannon, whom we meet at the very end of Chapter 2, uh ha- seem to have their act together. Everyone else seems like they're pretty much taking these folks' words for Like, oh, okay, War of the Magi? Yeah, 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 sure, keep talking. <laughs> well,
0: while we're on the subject of, you know, North quote-unquote normal people just kind of the average folks here one of the most striking things about the game we mentioned earlier is that you start off and you're the bad guy you are invading this town and i think this kind of loops into a theme that you mentioned uh, last week john which is the mm-hmm. the kind of human element of war and how right away this game is to some extent subverting a, a traditional trope of a video game which is it's you versus the bad guys and everybody else is just there to you know buy potions from or whatever <laughs> we're here kind of right off the bat, it's no, we're, the, the people that are getting killed in this are random people that live in this town and are just trying to defend themselves.
4: Yeah, and later on that's also going to become a, a big important thing. Yes, uh, that is,
0: that is, that is an
3: interesting, uh, change, Ben, so I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. It, it's also one other thing I wanted to touch on, uh, in the, in the way that the game Portrays war, and at least in the first couple chapters, the war between the Empire, who is obviously evil, they're, they're played up that way pretty, pretty heavily, and these smaller towns and cities who are, uh, I think the best way to describe it is victims, obviously, but not necessarily the good guys. Narsh is a good example in that, you know, obviously Terra comes marching in with the, the Magitek mech things and blows up half the town. But for the next couple chapters, whenever we encounter Narsh, uh, they're antagonists to us, uh, perhaps with good cause. But there are times when there has to be a little bit of sneaking around Narsh or tense negotiations with the elders of Narsh in order to get them to do what we want. Because even though they're being victimized by the quote-unquote bad guys, that doesn't make them automatically the good guys. They have... They have more complicated motives than that. They they're a certain, I guess, isolationist uh, to to use that term without necessarily the weight that goes with it, a certain isolationist strain. It's like, no, we just want we just want all outside influence out of our town. We want the empire gone, we want the returners out of here, we don't want anything to do with it. Uh similarly.
2: About, uh, oh sorry, go on, John.
3: No, I do want to talk about the returners briefly as well, in that we get a sense of them and we know that obviously they want to prevent a second War of the Magi, and they want to stop the Empire. But they're not really painted as good guys. Not in the sense that they're evil, but in the sense that, you know, typically in narratives or films or video games, when you want to portray people as good guys, there's a lot of language tossed around, like the words like freedom or justice or fairness or revolution or things like that. And none of that comes up with these guys. They don't seem to have... Any defining, I guess, moral thrust to their war, other than simply stopping the empire, which is a, a worthy end in itself, but uh but isn't. It, there's no there's no greater noble principle other than peace, I guess, that they're fighting for.
0: So is, that's relative. I feel like that's a relatively common trope of. Evil Empire versus the Rebellion. I mean, I'm thinking Star Wars. The Rebellion doesn't really have much of a core principle other than the Empire is bad, and we should be in uh, charge instead. And uh, I uh, think Hunger Games is somewhat similar to that as well, where you have the you know District 13 that doesn't really have an ideology outside the capital is bad.
3: I, I think I don't know for whatever reason, and I'm really struggling to articulate it, so I apologize. But Hunger Games feels a little different in my mind like it's it's much more of a proletarian versus master class struggle so maybe there's just a certain amount of moral labeling built into that whereas you don't get the sense that the returners are particularly proletarian i mean they've got a king on their their council uh a a couple of knights. by the time we get to the next chapter uh bannon who clearly looks like he comes from money and uh you know, a mishmash of of civilians and partisans from, from all over the world.
2: Yeah, can we I, talk more um, about sort of the politics of this world? I mean, so we have these people from these towns, but, um, you know, you have Edgar, right? He's the king, but he's the king of just this one sort of castle that goes underground sometimes. And then Narsch, like who, they have an elder, right? It's, it's just this towns so you have like all these little i don't want to call them city states because they're not even cities they're just like these little towns that um are all sort of uh basically independent from one another aren't they um and then you have the empire that um at the moment doesn't really i don't know it's not really an empire because they don't really own that much they they have their own little city and they've taken over a couple places but and they're spreading out so okay but I don't know, like, who is in charge of these places? Um, you say Bannon is rich. Um, is, is his worry not that uh, the poor are going to be downtrodden, but that he isn't going to be the person who is putting his foot on, on the poor anymore? It's going to be the emperor instead? You know, I, I'm trying to figure out is sort of the... Well, well of, the of course, I mean, all, all revelations... Right
3: well of course, Shana, all revolutions start from the bourgeoisie and are fought by the proletariat. I Absolutely. mean, duh, we we all know that.
2: <laughs> but I mean, what what bourgeoisie do we even have in this world? Like, are there lawyers or anything? Like all I see are people like running shops and inns and then you occasionally have these nobles who have money somehow. I'm not exactly sure, or they're the elder. Um, it's just I don't want to go too far into this because you could just say, "Oh, they didn't really develop the world enough." But I'm just I'm curious about how these towns are run, <laughs> a little bit. I mean, I yeah. saw it
1: sort of as a Greek peninsula type thing, and I guess the the empire is uh, the encroaching Persians that okay. they can because <laughs> sure. the empire controls an entire continent. They control, I guess, there are two, three continents. I don't know if if the big the big one is technically two or one, but. uh the Empire controls a tremendous amount of land, even if there's not a lot of stuff in it.
2: Like, what do they even do with that land? I mean, are there farms, or is it just random monsters just waiting for people to come there so they can be encountered? Well, <laughs>
3: there, 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 are, there are farms, but, you know, there are monsters out in the fields as well. So you just got to look out for them when you go out. Tilling the fields, I don't know, it's,
2: like, it's tricky. What's the point of having these towns if you don't have a government, um, that is, you know, bringing together, you know, either a military or some sort of militias to go out and keep these monsters away? <laughs> They're just everywhere. You well, know, the, monster,
3: the monsters don't enter the towns, that's the point. True. Once you're in a town, you no longer have to worry about monsters. So,
2: but the job done. On their own.
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not- actually, it's actually lucky for us that none of the uh, antagonists or even the NPCs fight these monsters because then they'd be leveling up possibly faster than. is <laughs>
1: <laughs> that the point be- well, of The reason, reason the though. monsters don't enter the town. I mean, that's just the way I imagine it. it. Was like the Adventures Guild trades adventurers, and their job is to go out and kill monsters to keep the town safe. Okay.
4: Or, or all Fair the enough, I just thought are they then? <laughs>
0: Or all the townspeople are super high-leveled and we just don't know it.
1: Right. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we do have temporary party members that turn out to have their own levels and abilities. True.
3: Yeah, like one of whom shows up, Bannon in this case, who, despite the world being free of magic, somehow has the power to heal everyone in the party at the same time.
0: He's just a a really good doctor.
3: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yes i don't know i i find his whole story suspect as you can tell i'm i'm a little more suspicious of Bannon than perhaps i need to be but like we don't we don't really learn a lot about him
2: like what's he keeping in all that hair there, there's secrets there
3: <laughs> indeed
1: well, his ability is prey right so his his healing ability is direct divine intervention
3: <laughs> okay, that, that's a different translation, and in, in our version, it's called health, which I think is the original Japanese. Uh, translation. They they sort of de sanctified a lot of the language.
1: Okay, well, yeah, that, my my translation uses
3: pray. So, so who okay. is he praying to then? Like the that's only what god. I
4: was about to say.
2: Yeah, we yeah, do The only gods we need are a the- couple. Yeah, the only gods we meet are gonna be a couple chapters
3: of the intercessionary type.
4: Right. Well they're the Espers. Um Oh no, I meant the I meant the statues. Oh the statues, sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's but interesting. In the, uh, any case. The yeah, the, the theology of it also comes in so vaguely. <laughs>
0: Well th- this is always interesting and in kind of any world with magic theology gets really really complicated right away you, you know it's a, I've heard people ask like what do what do the what do the wizards in Harry Potter think about like muggle religions you know they celebrate christmas but it's like they know how to turn water into wine like they they know how this trick is done and it's not divine for a magician or similarly like I've <laughs> I've, I've seen things back and forth about like thor in the marvel universe like what does his arrival on earth signal for you know religions on earth you know do we just keep do you just keep trucking on or what does that do to you know to religion i don't think it's a necessarily good answer but it's just interesting as soon as you start introducing these quasi-ideistic elements it a lot of your assumptions about theology start to to get really interesting
4: yeah well in the avengers they did i think just one line addressing that um, where someone is like, "Oh, you know," and you know, there goes you know, this god is just hanging out, and Captain America says, uh, "There's only one god, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that." <laughs> Which is a good yeah. line, and it's in character, but it really, yeah, it does bring to the bring to the fore, and then completely dismiss that that whole idea of what what theology doing when you have all of this stuff going on.
0: So any, any parting thoughts, uh, before we, uh, we get done here on, uh, on what we've gotten here? I feel like we didn't, uh, didn't hit necessarily everything. Uh, what about the, uh, the, the kind of boss battles we have in here? How do those fit into the narrative? I mean, they're just a strong
1: (laughs) enemy. I wanna, oh, go for
0: it. Go, go, go.
2: Oh, no, I was just going to say it's been a long time since I played the beginning of this game, so I, I can't remember what the bosses were even, so if someone can refresh my memory, I'll, I know there was a snail that says Gru. I remember that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I really like uh, an aspect of design on the bosses, which I guess isn't narrative-related, but something that has I've appreciated more than once, is that uh, the bosses don't drop any experience points, so you don't have to feel bad if one of your characters dies and then misses out on a he huge dump of uh level ups because that is a thing that happens all the time in games and bosses are meant to be hard and kill your party.
4: <laughs> wow. Oh I, yeah, and also I, they're I also it was... gigantic relative to your character even if they're supposed to be the same species, which is kind of Yes.
3: which always makes putting... it interesting when you when you run into them in the the walkabout map. <clears throat> like the the example I was thinking of in terms of boss fights is Vargas, who's a particularly challenging one well he's a bit of a challenge and then there comes a point where he just where he just says all right enough of this fighting and we'll knock all your characters off screen regardless of how effectively you fought to that point point. and then sabin shows up and kicks his ass which is great but uh but yeah vargas you meet on the map and he's like normal human size and then you you fight him and he's nine times the size of anyone in your party like how can how can you beat
1: him <laughs> yeah, I think of that a lot of that is uh because they want to really show off the the art of this character of who this dude is and the only way you're going to do that in pixel art is by making it bigger um yeah it also communicates oh this is a this is a bad guy and he's important and you should he even even the the stronger i guess monsters are generally large size is importance uh, size is strength in this
3: Yes.
0: Indeed. Well, well, thanks, guys. I think uh, I think we've got a good discussion going here. Uh, this was a, a fun first chunk of the game, kind of get, getting a good flavor for how the narrative is going to move forward and and how Final Fantasy VI kind of distinguishes itself from from some different RPGs. So I'm excited to keep talking about it. Um, unless anyone has anything else, uh, I hope everyone out there uh, joins us. Uh, in the forums, uh, we'll have lots of discussions going there. Uh, we will, as always, you can uh, tweet at us or hit us up on Facebook if you have thoughts about the game or and where we're at in the book club. Uh, and uh, all of this and more you can find on the web at www.overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it, prob- it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't, doesn't deserve.
4: deserve. Doesn't deserve